with a look back over the weekend sport action. This is Full Time on KCLR. Welcome back to Full Time. My name is Sinead Kyo and over the next couple of weeks I'm going to be bringing you the very best of KCLR's GAA podcast, The Clash Act. Over the last year, Eddie Scally has had some amazing interviews with GAA personalities from around the country. And last week, you'll remember, we heard from two Waterford legends, Dan Shanahan and Derek McGrath. And we also heard a fascinating conversation with inter-county referee David Goff. Well, there's lots where that came from. And this week, we're going to kind of have a Kilkenny theme. We have Paul Murphy on the show and we also have John Mulhall. But to kick off proceedings, we're going to hear from eight-time All-Ireland winner Eddie Brennan. He talks to his namesake Eddie Scally about how hurling has changed. You'd say, yeah, it's good. It's good that we get to see good attacking hurling and all that kind of stuff. But that that level of, and, and I think there's, there's, for me there's a combination of factors. I think some of it is, is down to maybe over the last three or four years we've seen um, I suppose the I think the free count and the card count has gone up. Like I mean, we looked at a, just one example of it. And not look, it's it's not blaming referees. I think that's the most important thing here. The referees are often and often very much influenced by their assessors and by the referees board. I'm sure that the, they look at certain things and say, look, we need to clamp down on this. And maybe the head high tackle is the example. And you say, look, that's something we have to get out of the game or grabbing the face guard, and that's for good reason. Absolutely. But, you know, I've seen a match there involving Wexford and Dublin there maybe last year, the year before, in Croke Park. And there was, I think, two or three red cards and a ball of yellow cards. And there could have been a few more. And you're kind of going, when when, when that starts happening, then I think you, you have defenders or people in general, maybe maybe they're stepping off a little bit more. Maybe they're kind of saying, right, well, we'll... we'll we'll certainly give you a bit of room at some stage of the match and we'll let you shoot so much. But after that, we're going to, you know, we're going to try out score teams. It seems to be, as I used the analogy there, maybe one night that the the Platini influence is is at play now where it's going to be a high scoring match in that regard. But yeah, look, the the, equally the art of scoring and the art of, of, of showing that and, and people getting to see that is equally important. I think as important is the robust physical nature of Hurland. And in some regards, I think, you know, we seem to be struggling with uh, a level of maybe clarity on, on, on what's happening. And I think it's possibly another factor that's Im- impacting on when a guy makes genuine, honest attempt to tackle. I think what's impacting on that, too, is there is negative tactics being coached into players. And uh, I do feel I've, I, 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 I see elements of that like that. You know, we we talk about the, the spare hand and things like that. I think... The, the, it's it's different in that lads are being maybe deliberately fouled at times because you know there's a goal chance on and I think teams will rather concede a free and let it be a point rather than it be a goal and that's probably why we find ourselves now with the the situation whereby you know what happened yesterday with Tony Kelly or with Aaron Shanahan maybe has happened so sometimes maybe the the knee jer- jerk reaction isn't the solution to the problem but for me maybe. 12 months ago, 18 months ago, I was very much of the thinking that if you have a scenario whereby, you know, I give you two examples, maybe the the example where Shamie Callanan gets ropey tackled to the ground in the quarterfinal last year by a Galway player, or the situation where Declan Hannan just kicks the legs from underneath a Waterford lad going past him in the All-Ireland last year. I think there has to be a big punishment for that type of thing. And it's possibly in uh, 
the identification of the tackle and understanding what's after happening here. And I think maybe, you know, it's very hard because of the speed of hurling to get that right all at the time. And I think consistency. But there's a number of things at play there that probably have influenced that. And I suppose I've said things over the last 12 months that maybe I'm finding myself now going back and saying, OK, maybe that's not right. Or maybe I'm not 100% on the button with that. But um, it's hard to know because there's a, there's a lot going on. And I think I, I, I think definitely, like I said there, the art, a defender actually committing to a tackle is, is, is dodgy now for guys. They have to be like, I think that one yesterday will definitely send shockwaves through defenders. It'll make them think now a little bit. And obviously you don't want them pulling us down, but you want them making an honest-to-God tackle. And I do think Aaron Shannon took a hell of a blow to the... You know, it, it probably was by the letter of law, by the rule. They were right to do what happens. I think the lads on the live show maybe missed that in, in terms of the actual definition which was put up in the Sunday game last night. See, it can be it can be very harsh um, when you look at it because it was a major score in that game yesterday. But as you rightly say, to the letter of the law... It was, you know, the referee probably implemented the rules exactly as they should have been implemented, and the, you know, the result was taken. You know, he, he Tony buried the goal, and yeah, and to be fair to him, he did. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there, there's a yeah, co- no, he was right. I think Colin, I agree. Sorry, you're all, no, no, you're per- you're perfect. It's just like I think you take you take that game aside there at the the Waterford game because uh, which. You know, and, and looking at it, looking at it as it was as a spectacle, I, like I found it a very, a very flat game to watch. I thought it was quite boring. I thought both teams, it didn't feel like a Munster yeah. Championship hurling match. Um, I, I don't know, oh. for, you know, and I don't know for what reason that was. But just, just on the game of hurling at the moment, Eddie, if if I could ask you a genuinely honest question, and I don't know this, but like Eddie Brennan at twenty years of age with a ball in his hand on his own half back line, on your own half back line, would you be turning and striking for the posts? No, I wouldn't have been able to, Eddie. <laughs> so, like, I, I wouldn't have had it in me. Strength and conditioning, guys are superbly conditioned and all that, and technically they're very good. But it's 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 kind of yeah. It seems to be that way. That I think from the middle, from the forty-five out, you know, into the other opposition forty-five, it's just it's just once you get a space, you're you're firing a shot, and you know, I think historically, you know, everyone played their patch. Everyone had there was fifteen all most distinct parts to the pitch and, and you looked after your own patch and, and obviously that's that's the, the times are it moves on from that it's 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 not you know it's not like that we wanted to go back to that either I think but I think what's what's happening is you're just seeing um I suppose teams are looking at it and and, and they're trying to probably um I don't know what, what what way to describe it but they're trying to at times defend and then other times it's just, okay, we don't mind too much. We'll just go all out and they, and they try to, to get, you know, goals. But it seems to be at the moment, it's, I, I was, you know, I was on to a journalist there lately, just, just completely chatting to him, you know, be, uh, privately about hurling and stuff. And I just was asking, I said, there must be surely a stat there at the present that long range scores have doubled in the game of hurling in the last you know, ten or you know, the last few years, there seems to be so much more scores from way out the field, and and like, geez, I know my range was was in from the forty five in, and at times, you know, when I went playing with the club later on in my career, you were able to pick off longer distance scores, and and maybe that's down to the technology with ball and what have you, but uh, certainly now it it there seems to be a big shift towards that, like that that players once they get room around. The forty-five out, and you're seeing, you know, TJ is well capable of that, you know, and the rolling from Leash is well capable. A lot of players are well capable of from the forty-five up, they'll hit one, like you know. 
see, and, and this is something that, like, and, I, and I've really looked at this for the last couple of years. I was at a junior hurling match in Kilkenny last Thursday night, and there was 14 scores from from inside their own half for one of the teams. They got 14 scores from inside their own half, a junior hurling club in Kilkenny, and I think there was about five different lads that did it. And I was looking at the balls afterwards, and I spoke to some of the older members of the club, and I said, look, is the ball after reducing in weight? Is the hurl after increasing? Uh, Ned Quinn, who you know obviously quite well in Kilkenny, I'd asked Ned about it on another occasion, and Ned said to me, he remembers a time when there was a round of applause when a guy put a 65 over the bar. Um, you know, now, if you missed the 65, to be a new from the crowd wondering how did you bloody miss that? Um, yes. Like, I, I think there's a lot of things at play there, but the other one, if you, if you think back... To when you were playing for Kilkenny, you had this go for the juggler attitude. Ball was driven into that full forward line. You were winning early ball, taking on your man and burying the goal. Last year, we had a team winning All Ireland that did not, from memory, I can't remember any game where I thought Limerick were really going for goals. And people tried to emulate your team, your tactic, and tried to beat you at that. And is, is, is Limerick's style of play affecting the enjoyment of the game. I don't mean this in any way to knock Limerick and that's not me being biased or, or, or mean to Limerick, but Yeah, it's 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 hard to know. Um definitely I think there was a big shift uh in a lot of teams now in that they were happy to take their points and I think even Wexford demonstrated that on Saturday and that um geez I remember when I started hurling you weren't even able to poke the ball over from <laughs> from from our own half back they let alone even attempt and I know you'd be told what to do but Look, I was I was on off the ball there recently, and James Scahill made a very good point that the hurling ball apparently in the last ten years is still the same weight. Okay, um, but what you have is the rims on the ball have been smoothed right down. They've they've gone right down. They almost blend into a perfect circle on the ball. Before they stuck out a little bit more. So I suppose when you look at an object flying through the air, obviously the more aerodynamic it is, the more distance it will travel. And I've looked at hurling balls, I have what way gravity affects the flight of that ball. It just fly, it, it flies through the air perfectly. So it, it's hard to know because I think in, in certain situations you're looking at that, what you're saying there about teams just picking off all their points. There's almost a token need then for a full forward. And I think some teams you've seen them doing that. They're just leaving one lad inside if something drops shorts, he'll go after it. He's happy to go after it. I think sometimes Limerick will do that. But there's definitely an appetite in their game. And I admire what they've done. Um, they just they pick off their points and, and they, they hurt you hard with points. No, and like just just on the point you're saying about James James Kettle's point about the ball, I know with golf balls they, they, they've done the same. And it's, it's something that, um, you know, if you look at golfers now, like people forget this as well. Like, I mean, golfers are driving the ball 380, 400 yards. Uh, 15 years ago, golfers were driving the ball 280 Massive, yards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and that does that does make a huge difference. But the the other two things that I've kind of looked at it, and, 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 and this is me defending Hurland at the moment as a, you know, as it stands, but the other two big things is the big the big hits seem to be gone a little bit, but you know, the physicality, the real physicality, but that's you know, taken away from the game. If I'm shooting from 70 or 80 yards because the players are taking a short puck out, they're finding a man in space and he's hitting the strike. Whereas, you know, in your in, in your day, which is only 10, 15 years ago, the ball was driven in low and two men had come out flying to try and win that ball and it, 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 it forced more contact and the crowd buzzed off that. So at the moment now, we're playing in front of no audience so there's no crowd to buzz off. We've teams that are happy to shoot from 70 or 80 yards and, and that takes out that physical contact side of the game. So, you know, it's it's kind of everything is adding into itself, isn't it? 
Yeah, it is. And, and, and unfortunately, you know, you're saying in terms of spectacles, you, you, I suppose like adding people, the length and breadth of the, the country are saying, look, where, where is this going to go? Yeah, I think the crowd is significant. I think the crowd is a brilliant thing as a player. You love that side of it. You, you loved when you were under pressure and maybe the crowd got you going. And I think that is a significant factor. But but now it's 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 certainly all built around movement and athleticism. And w- would I enjoy playing that type of hurling now? Uh, and I don't know. I mean, I was probably athletic enough in, in, in with my fitness. I was able to get around the pitch. You know, I, I enjoy that side of it too. But equally, um, I don't know what I have an appetite to be making. You no know, runs all over the place knowing that you might have a hope in hell in the ball or I, I just look at even the the mileage even you know watching what players are covering now in matches and it's frightening and you're just kind of going oh Jesus you know where has this gone like it was always always about the skills of the game and, and being as good as you could possibly be and we're looking at our you know how athletic our hurlers are and Maybe it's a bit like rugby, where a few years ago, rugby went really, really big and physically strong and all that, and it was just pounding opposition into submission. You know, because I think the conditioning is just gone through the roof. But but you'd always like to think that the emphasis is always on your ability to hurl and your ability to outthink opponents. And I even look at it and say, where would, where would, you know, Tommy Welsh sit in the modern game? Because he was just, you know, a combative type of hurler. In stuck in the trenches, Noel Hickey the same, and and this guy is look Kelly from Tip, you know where would they sit into the modern day hurling? I think the the reality is they probably wouldn't because their hurling brains were what set them apart from everybody else. Yeah, that was Eddie Brennan there. Really interesting assessment, I thought, there of just how the game of hurling has evolved, even in the past decade. You can listen back to that interview with Eddie Brennan and all other interviews that were carried out throughout the year on the Clash Act podcast, which you can download from any of the streaming platforms. We're going to take a really quick break now, but coming up in part two, you're going to hear from John Mulhall and he'll be telling us about his time under manager Brian Cody. This is Full Time on KCLR. Welcome back to the show. My name is Sinead Kyo and you're listening to Full Time where we bring you the very best of the Clash Act. Now, just before the break, you heard from Eddie Brennan and we're going to go from one Kilkenny man to another. Next up, you're going to hear from John Mulhall. He talks to Eddie about why post-primary and third level competitions in hurling should be nurtured. And he also touches on the speculation that surrounded his exit from the Kilkenny panel. There was a lot of rumours circulating that he was banished from the panel because of his antics in the post-All-Ireland celebration. So he kind of puts that rumour to rest, but really interesting conversation now with Eddie Scally. When you broke into the Kilkenny senior panel itself, hmm. like, do you remember that time? Like, you were very, very young. Like, you were probably 21. I, I was 21, but sure, I'd been training 07, 08, 09, kind of in and out, you know, the way you'd, that time you used to get brought in. There was no 45 lads. It was just 30 and one lad might be brought in to be a sub. So I would have been in for a good few years and and 09 I got in and for the league and was dropped in and we played with UCC and probably celebrations lasted a bit too long and then last down that. And Did that re- was that was that the reason you were dropped off the panel? Well, no nine. Oh, well, no nine was before I even got into the panel, but I could have pushed on and got, probably got there for the four in a row. In in two thousand nine, you kind of gave more focus to your college's team. Yeah, and that's another thing. 
like the, the Fitzgibbon like freshers so obviously there's a progression you play with your school right I never played with school because I was probably a bit too bold so then I got I went, I left school at 16 in leaving cert straight out mad out the door I played a freshers championship on a Thursday right this is I played a minor match with my club on the Friday and I played a senior match on the Saturday right and loved it now I mentioned it on another yoke there recently about player burnout now that wouldn't be allowed to happen because yeah and I too many games like what is the issue there's a major issue with too many games I um, I don't because if you're only playing GA right people have to make those decisions if you're playing soccer rugby that was a major issue too. Yeah, but it's only the best lads are affected. The very, very best. Yeah, I know, but when you're 17 or 18, we don't know if you're the best lad yet. So we need to mind. Oh, I, like, I wasn't, I'm not saying I was the best lad, but I was No, mad. I'm sure they were happy to let you burn out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, but like, I, 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 I take your point, but like, we, we, I'll have to press you on it a small bit. Like, no, press me, because I'll answer see, the, the, the problem you have is, and this is, this is, when you get to an elite level, so freshers isn't an elite elite level. No, but it's, you have to go. You have to go through these processes, of course, to reach the top. I agree. So, but what I'm saying to you is, if if if, if we're playing a freshers, but if you're good enough to be on the Fitzgibbons team, right? Yeah. And we say, right. So John Mulhall, I want him for my Fitzgibbon team. Yeah. But then we have to look at it and say, right. I'd like him on my club senior team. He's important. He's a very important player for us. So I need you for that no, too. Brian Cody wants you on the Kilkenny senior hurling team as well. You're an important component right. to that so team. Who we're talking about here now? A very slick few, but we'll we'll focus on them. JJ Delaney, right? Nineteen years of age. He will say to you point blank, "Your WIT days. Would you ever take them back? Winning Fitzgibbons, whatever. No." Unbelievable times. You're playing with lads from every county, right? If you don't have those, right? And another thing they brought in, it went down to under 20 from under 21, right? Every time I played under 21 for three years, and that's when the crack really gets going, right? You'd play a match on a Wednesday night. You'd go out to Wednesday, you'd go out to Thursday. Now, we're not going to make this a, a thing, right? About drinking or anything, or anything about that. But the social element of the celebrations and all of this. It doesn't matter if it was a Leinster semi-final, there was an element of camaraderie, right? Yeah. You'd go out on the Friday night and play with your club. The matches came thick and fast at that time. I don't ever have... See, the problem ha- happened was then, right, Fitzgibbon now is more or less they're trying to get rid of it. Under 20, they're bringing in this thing that if you're on the senior panel... You can't play under 20. Madness. No, I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. Like the Fitzgibbons and, 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 and the other Cups, the Sigersons and whatnot, they, they tried to play them earlier in the year and, and allow the county players that were involved in that competition didn't play the early leagues, rounds of the National hmm. League, to try and work that. Was on this that was the case three, four years ago. Yeah. But it's after changing since. No, the, I understand that. And I think destroyed the... See, I think the, the idea is if they'd worked with that system, it would have worked. But like, you take yourself personally, right? And I don't mean this in a negative way. Yeah. But like, it's, it's well documented, John, that like, at the time that you were in college... You were a bit of a wild boy, um, yeah. right? And like, 
I'm sure you don't regret the crack you had in college. Right. But at the same time, like, did you miss out on major opportunities with the Kenny Senior Hurling team? Like, you came on as a sub for TJ Reid in, 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 in a National League game in 2010. Um, you know, one of the subs that was brought on in that game was yourself. Now, I know... I think a, a, few, a good few people would always say when, I, when I'd when i ask about John Mullaw when he was playing and what he was like as a player a lot of people have said to me that you were a very stylish player you were a good player you were more than good enough to be on the Kilkenny Senior Hurling team and the question I'll ask you and I'm, and I'm being genuine with it was was it part was it was it your lifestyle that didn't fit into the Kilkenny Senior Hurling team's plan or was it the Kilkenny Senior Hurling team's lifestyle that didn't fit into yours? Uh, well, not not see. So I did four years in UCC. So I started when I was just gone seventeen. So I was yep. gone out there when I was twenty, right? So then I went to Queens, and then it was WIT, and then it was. <laughs> you uh, love college. Then it was Limerick, but no, there was never any issue with any of that. Like most nights when people would be going out, I I actually used to just go home because I'd have something on, like a match or whatever. But like after the matches, right? After a UCC match or after a Kilkenny under-21 Leinster final or... Like, the whole issue is to, you know, have, you know, a bit of a celebration or a bit of, you know, and enjoy those moments, which is... I know, I I completely accept it. But, like, what I'm saying is, was there ever situations where you had a Sigerson's match or a Fitzgibbon game, a big game, and it was... A whore of a session after it, a proper session. You went out. Well, let's say we we won the Fitzgibbon in all nine, right? Yeah. And there was probably there was probably about a week of celebration. So from the Saturday to the Thursday, right? Yeah. Back for Kikenny train on the Friday, right? And Martin Fogarty knew well the crack, and he I was marking Jez Royal, and Royal destroyed me, and. I would say I was dropped in 09. I ne- I hadn't made the panel fully at this time, but I obviously missed out on featuring in 09. Then 10... But did you miss out on featuring in 09 based on that training session? Uh, not on the training session, but probably the the fact that... They knew you were on the beer. Well, not that I was on the beer, but like... On the beer for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. But sure, he's, they, they would have known the crack, yeah. That obviously the celebrations and you weren't performing but that was there other Kilkenny players I didn't, players on I didn't really was there other Kilkenny players in that group which you celebrating no okay, I was the only one down there but mentally I wasn't in the place where I was going to make it because they just went done three in a row I didn't think really that I was going to break onto that team that year I don't think I had it in me I was under 21 alright but the thing in my head at that time was that the under 21 was such so good that we used to be training so hard with under 21 and I was still under 21 that it was enough for me and then the year after when I was out of under 21 that's when like, I met it then for two or three years but it was all yeah I was in the zone then mentally but you, you were old enough then to have matured a bit yeah yeah but I still had the under 20 when you still had the under 21 to play with your own cohort of mates your own pals your mates yeah, yeah. mates that you would have grown up with it the whole way along. It was way more appetising than going and playing with the senior team and said the seriousness that comes with that. But the under twenty one was just 
it was a stepping stone. The Fitzgibbon was a stepping stone. These stepping stones are now being taken away from players. Under 20, right? So that year of 21, 1920, right? You're still not fully in charge of your abilities. Like, there's the exceptions. But, like, 21 is a crucial year. And you're being lost out and now that these guys now, if you're 21 and you're kind of, say, a junior club and you go back to your club, you're gone. That's... Unless you have some innate drive, but you're playing down in Greg Namana of a Friday night, there's no one going to be looking at you. Really. Yeah. And your own mental... Like, that person is struggling from there. Whereas when they had the under-21 say Niall Welch was a perfect example from Sleeve Rue in 2008 we won the under 21 Ireland 2009 he was in training with Kilkenny and 2010 he was on the panel in 2010 with me as well and if he had to lose out on that under 21 year say it was under 20 back then he wouldn't have he wouldn't have his like his all Ireland day out. He wouldn't have got there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have got there. And, and that's what's going to happen here now, the way things are gone. And it's a national thing that they're bringing in these things. The destruction of the Fitzgibbon Freshers um, but what's under like, 20 what's the, like Before I go, like we'll come back to this as well because I want to talk to you about the changing of the year and the minor as well because it's it's something I think is, yeah. it's, it's worth discussing. But just, just to finish out kind of two aspects with Kilkenny and then I want to talk to you a little bit about Kildare. Yeah. Um, like... When, the first time I, I actually got into a conversation with anybody about John Mulhall, I, I don't need to tell you where the conversation went instantly with the person I was talking to. And it was, you know, I'm not from Kilkenny, so I tend to not, I, I believe half of what I hear and then I need to see it nearly to believe it still. And um, I watched the videos of the celebrations after you'd won the All-Ireland and I watched where you, you kind of sang the song and it was mm. a bit of crack in the whole lot, you know. And then Brian said you may have just witnessed the shortest inter-county hurling career yeah. of all time. And then, you see, these stories grow, grow legs like, you know. Oh, and yeah. then oh, By the time you were 60, you'll be sitting down and you'll be told that Brian Cody sat you down after that song in Langton's and said, look, you're gone now forever. I never yeah, want yeah, to hear yeah. you again. Like the question I'd ask you, I, I'm intelligent enough I think I'm intelligent enough to assume <laughs> that that everything was in Jess on that time and Brian's comment was in Jess. Yeah. Was it just coincidental that your Kilkenny career kind of ended? I, I don't think it ended instantly after no, that song. No, there was, was another no, season it was, or so. It, like it was the end of the next league. Yes. And obviously I'd got loads of chances in that you league. You must have heard this a million times. Oh yeah, I hear it every day. Sure, <laughs> I was teaching up in Dublin post primary for years. It's just I don't even. It's more of ducks back now. I just put on the song when it when I go if there's someone asks and we have a bit of crack for a minute and that's it then and that's. But there was never. Was there ever a conversation about it? Was no, there, there was not, never. Of course not. Never. Yeah, really great honesty there from John Mulhall. I really enjoyed that conversation. Remember that you can listen back to that episode in full on KCLR's dedicated GAA podcast, The Clash Act, and you'll find that on any of the usual platforms. Now, we're going to go to a quick break, but coming up in part three, we're going to hear from four-time All-Ireland winner Paul Murphy. This is Full Time on KCLR. 
Welcome back to Full Time. My name is Sinead Kyo and over the next couple of weeks I'm going to be bringing you the very best of The Clash Act, KCLR's dedicated GAA podcast. Now we're going to stay with the Kilkenny team and next up you're going to hear from Paul Murphy, four-time All-Ireland winner and Danesport clubman. He tells Eddie Scally about his decision to retire from inter-county hurling. What was the process that went through it because you know there's no question about it everybody believes that you're still more than capable and more than fit enough to keep playing so yeah. you know what? why, why now? Um, well look I suppose I just saw the way the year went you know I didn't perform too well with the club so I kind of knew when I was going back to Kilkenny um, you know I saw the likes of Conor Delaney hurled really well Tommy Welch was hurling really well with Tuller Owen uh, Kieran Wallace they were flying it so I said look we don't we have, don't have a really quick turnaround time here or we don't have a long turnaround time here back into Kilkenny these lads would probably be pushing for jerseys which they were um, then once my form came back with Kilkenny and I kind of saw that I wasn't coming on in games I was going maybe I'm just not in the plans at the moment um, and I think really for me look I've, I would have felt into the Waterford match that in training I was really going well in training and when things weren't going well against Waterford and you know the lead was slipping I said this is an ideal time for me to come in and affect the match and when it didn't happen, I kind of said, well, look, I'm not in the plans. If, if if Brian is looking into the stand, he's not looking for me. So I kind of said, look, I'm I'm going well here at the moment. The body's still flying it. If, you know, I'm not really in the plans with Kilkenny, well, I can do a savage amount for Dan's Fort because unfortunately, part of being an inter-county hurler is you're not with your club for much of your career full-time, really. You go back for windows here and there. So part of it was like, look, I've had a great run. Delighted to see Tommy, Kieran Wallace, um, Conor Laney and these boys really performing well with Kilkenny. And you know what? Now is as good a time as any to go back and really, I suppose, commit 100% to your club while the legs are still flying it and you're still, you know, in your in, in full work and order, I suppose, to put it one way. Yeah, no, no, 100%. And I'm sure Dan's Fort are delighted to be getting you. It was, it was at the time of the retirement, one of the people had, had rang me and asked me for my opinion on your retirement. And I said that I, I always loved the idea of a player with still something to give stopping in time that he can go back to his club and give it two or three years at a very good level whereas if you continue playing for Kilkenny for another two or three years like Dane's Fort would be getting a very much broken down version of Paul Murphy by the end Yeah that's it um, you know usually if you do get to I suppose push out your career till you're 34, 35 you know the legs are starting to slow down a small bit there like by no means if you look after yourself I mean you can still perform to a very high standard but your prime is gone past you whereas you know I'm 32 years of age I've looked after myself over the years and I also haven't had any real major injuries I've done hamstrings and AC joints and different things but no major injuries that I have to worry about so when I go back with Dane's Fort now you know I'm very much going back as a fully fit player as a player who's not you know they're trying to figure out where do we put this person in a team because he can't move around or whatever you know I'm in full good condition to go back um, really looking forward to it as well looking forward to challenge matches and looking forward to you know going off of a Tuesday evening hurling a challenge match somewhere and you know training with the lads and maybe even going for a pint the weekend which you can do and not be looking over your shoulder saying who's having a look at me and who's going to ring somebody to say I'm out having a pint and, and the conversation I, I'm sure there's, there's a process in it you've obviously spoke to your fiance and your and your mum and had that conversation and said look we're going to we're going to call it a day here Um I'm sure they're they're the easier side of the conversation. I'm sure you got no arguments from from your mum or your fiance when you said you were thinking about packing it in. Yeah, I, I didn't tell anyone for a long time because it was something I was trying to, I suppose, figure out. Am I only feeling this way because I'm not in the team, um, or what way am I feeling? And I really wanted to make sense of it. So it really was over maybe a six week period. It, it had planted into my head initially when I, once I wasn't making the team. I said, "Is this how it happens?" 
Is this the way it goes? Um, and then even after the Waterford match, I didn't go, okay, I'll do it now. I said, look, I'll leave it a few weeks and the fire might come back into me then. You know, met a few lads, a few reliables, like, you know, Richie Hogan, that who I've grown up hurling with, um, Conor Fogarty, and just kind of said it to him, look, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of this at the moment. Um, now, they discouraged me from doing it. I said, look, you know, you never know, go back and give it another year or whatever. Um, but by the time I would have said it to, let's say, my mum or said it to my fiance, it was pretty much, look, this is 95% sure now at this stage um, and gave the reasons for it. And because I thought about it for quite a while, you know, you have quite good reasons for it. And, you know, so it, the other side, it was a very comfortable decision to make at that stage. It wasn't a snap decision. So they were obviously upset probably because it's been a great journey. And to see this part kind of closing, it's it can be tough for, let's say, a mom or my sister or whoever hearing it. But... um Look, that's just part of the process. You have a great journey and it has come to an end. Exactly. Um, obviously, there was another person that you would have had to sit down and have a chat with or ring or what way. I don't know what way you did it, but yeah. obviously the conversation. I'd spoken to Brian before and I asked him about retirements um, and how he handles them. And mm. he said to me, when an intercounty hurler comes to you and tells you he's thinking about retiring, he's retiring. He yeah. said that if the process has started working in his mind, he's not going to be able to do what's needed to play so generally if they come to you at that stage he said sometimes you'll have a, a row in a dressing room yeah. and Paul Murphy throws a gear bag at you and says I'm retiring and goes yeah. that's different but he said in an off season when a player rings me and says listen I'm thinking about finishing up I, he said he's never ever tried to talk a player out of retirement yeah, um, yeah. And, and I just wonder when you contacted Brian which I'm sure you did how did that conversation go yeah, it was short enough conversation. I mean, I would say it was about a minute, really. Um, there was nothing needed to be said. You know, I just rang him and said, look, Brian, it's not a case I'm thinking of it. Um, it's, you know, th- this is it. And to be fair to Brian, he said, look, yeah, like I relate to him. I felt I wasn't in the plans and, you know, I just think it's a good time. And he said, yeah, look, 100%. And he relayed to me where he thought I stood within the panel, which was perfectly fine, you know, and I, I was happy he said it to me. And then basically we said, look, I suppose thanks a million we said thanks to each other for the years I like, appreciate the opportunity the management teams as a whole you know when you start out with Kilkenny they're placing a bit of faith in you that okay you're a young fella you're not you know you're not Brian Hogan when you start out who has all these All-Ireland medals or you're not Jackie Turrell you have to start somewhere and someone has to have a bit of faith in you when you do that so Brian took a bit of faith in me I'd like to think I repaid that faith by playing well with Kilkenny so I thanked him for the opportunities and he said look you know even though you weren't playing this year um, you know, you still encouraged players and you were going around and you were saying, look, best luck and giving lads advice before the ground and the pitch and that he appreciated that, that I didn't decide to, you know, down tools and go, I'm not, if I'm not playing, you know, I, I, I'm i not going to encourage lads. So, look, it was it was great. It was, we just thanked each other. Um, look, sure, been on a great journey together as well. And that was really it. It, it, it. I probably described it in longer than the conversation actually yeah, of was. Course. Yeah, it was only about a minute, and just said thanks and listen. That's it, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. No, it's 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 a very fair way. I know, I know it's like people people don't see it from both sides sometimes as well, and it's 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 a very tough job for Brian. And, and like, because a couple of weeks back we spoke to Chap Clare and Chaps retirement was a little bit different than yours chap got the phone call as opposed to make the phone call and he said he was a little bit hurt by the fact that it was a phone call you're not in the the panel anymore goodbye and good Mm. luck and I said to him no matter what way that was done the outcome is still the same if I ring you up and say you're a lovely fella and you're a great lad but you're still gone ultimately you're still gone and and he agreed that Brian's position is, is a very tough one in that sense but what I would ask you is as a manager of a team like Brian Cody is without question the most successful GA manager of all time probably the most successful manager in any sport in mm. in the world like his his record speaks for itself but 
he seems to have this stone cold killer um, mantra about him. Yeah. Like, was it like that from, like, I, I'm sure when you started hurling for Kilkenny, I'd say yeah. when you walked in, you probably got a bit nervous when you see Brian Cody coming. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But over the years, like, you've been there from, from day dot for Paul Murphy right up until the end. Yeah. Is the person we see on TV, that stone cold killer, is it like that in the setup, or what way would you best describe him? Uh, I think the, I heard David Herity describe it the best way before that. Brian Cody, whatever you think Brian Cody is, that's what he is. You know, he's the most generous man going to charities and different <coughs> things, and he'll do things. You know, he'll just he'll drive to Ballycastle and he will do a medal presentation and head out the door and not look for anything, and he'll do that. He'll also ring you and tell you you're dropped, and that's it, and on you go. So he's been different things to different people, and I suppose like that, Chaplier's opinion has been that he was dropped, and obviously that's not a great position to be in, and that's your last memory. There can be mixed emotions involved in that, but like my, I mean my my relationship relationship with Brian was um, I was called into training as a 19 year old to fill a gap within you know if lads got injured you'd fill a place and I walked into a dressing room and I remember it was over in Kieran's College of a, a Wednesday evening I think it was summer's evening great evening for training walked in and I remember looking around I genuinely you know Brian Hogan I mentioned him already Brian Hogan Eddie Brennan Michael Kavanagh all these lads you know I was trying to go where do I sit in this dressing room I was nervous about where do I sit in the dressing room because some lad's going to give out to me now or something you know and <laughs> I was going to embarrass myself Brian was the first lad that came over and just said, recognised that obviously I'm probably quite nervous coming in. Said, well, Paul, how are you? You're welcome in and all this. And in fairness, other boys came over to me. Like Jackie came over kind of straight away. Eddie Brennan was another fella came over. And, you know, it was, it was really appreciated. And, you know, went out in the pitch on the train. And sure, I looked around and here was Brian Hogan at the far side stretching and whatever. And I think Brian Cody could see then that I was going, "Who do I ask a fella to puck here? Or do I, you know, puck a ball across the pitch? Or how do I do this? So... Brian just Brian Cody let a shout at Brian Hogan Brian puck with Paul there and that's how you know it got me out of a sticky situation so he, he did that at the start to I suppose get me going um, and when it came to matches then as well I suppose once I came he dropped me then I was dropped for two years you know I was dropped then I was dropped I came on the following year for a league panel dropped and I was dropped in 2010 and it came to a stage I think in 2011 where I had been on and off panels and I think Brian was looking for look what's your plan like you know what do you want to do and I kind of basically said to Brian look you either start me and give me a chance or you know what am I doing here I think I'm the right man for the job and I think that's what Brian relates with that Brian can listen to that and so for all the times where he helped me eventually I told him listen you have to be kind of playing me and I think what you're asking of me I'm doing so as a result you should be playing me and I think he kind of recognised that said okay there's a bit of fire in this lad we'll put him on and from there, look, we always had a great relationship. Um, I think, really, look, from a point of view of... I, I think I had things that Brian liked, in that I just went in and trained. I wasn't the most skillful player. I wasn't whatever, but I worked hard at everything. I would put myself in the first group. If I was going and doing runs, you know, you put yourself beside Michael Fenley and Killian Buckley and these lads, because they're the best lads for running. If you're going doing a tackling drill, you jump in beside Tommy Welch, and you do it with Tommy Welch. So I used to do things like that, which I think Brian went, OK... He's not going to go out and win all Ireland final, but you know he'll work hard in all these areas, and I think that's what Brian liked about me. There was days where he said, "Listen, you have to improve this," and there was other days where he said, "Well done, that was brilliant." But that was really our relationship. It never extended past that. It was just whatever was best for what was happening on the pitch. Brian, if he thought he had to give me a clipping that would make me better on the pitch, he did it. If he thought he gave me encouragement, he did it, and that was it and it never extended past into real I suppose we were never friends not that we weren't friendly to each other yeah of course he's a manager I'm a player and that's the relationship we really had and it's interesting you say it because when I when I think of Brian Cody 
the manager I always compare him to in my mind is Alec Ferguson because obviously different sports but but when you look at Alec Ferguson he comes across as this really angry man really yeah. is the way yeah, to yeah. put it but I was reading an article the other day and it was Roy Keane talking about Alec Ferguson and now obviously they had a massive fallout at the end but he, mm. he was on about when he was the captain of Man United and he said he never had a relationship with Alec Ferguson other than Alec Ferguson had said to him, you've done really well today, Roy. Or mm. Alec Ferguson had said to him, Roy, you need to pick up on this. But what Keane had said was, there was some players that over the years, like Gary Pallister, Brian Robson, Steve Bruce, they used to go upstairs and have a cup of tea with mm. Alec Ferguson at the end of training sessions. And Roy Keane just said he could never, yeah. he could never relate to that. It was, that's not our job. And in that Kilkenny panel, I don't think Brian Cody is the type of fella that'd be standing off having a cup of tea with three or four of the players. I don't. No. It's 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 a business, really, is it? Yeah, like Brian. Brian has his his way of management, and I think any manager has a manager has their their styles, and people are always trying to categorize them into what type of manager are you? Like you know, Brian's way is very much you know there is a line between it in terms of the manager and the players, and he sees he gets best results that way. No, that's not to say he does crack a joke. Like you know, if there's something there, he will. He's very quick-witted, and he will crack an old joke. But in terms of day to day, you know, Brian isn't in having the crack with the players. He's at, he, he, you know, at the end of the day, he has to come back as we we're saying earlier and drop lads, or he has to come back and give lads a bit of a given out to, or whatever he has to do. So Brian probably sees it from that point of view that look, I'm a manager, I have a job to do. When things are going good, well, sure, look, I'll get some of the praise. No, not that he's looking for it, but when things are going bad, I have to take that as well, and I have to maybe dress players down or whatever I have to do. So he doesn't, he doesn't do that. Um, certainly, you can ring Brian and you can say to him, listen, you know, there's a few things there, and you can have a meeting with Brian if you want. But a meeting with him is different to going and having a conversation and having a cup of tea and a talk about what's going on in the week in the news. You know, so. I don't know of players who who, who do do that, um, and that's not probably the way Brian operates, and that's just that's just his that's style. It, yeah, yeah no, that's no. it. Yeah, again, just another really insightful interview there with four-time All-Ireland winner Paul Murphy. I actually really love that part where he's talking about joining the team for the first time as a 19-year-old and not knowing where to sit in the dressing room, not even knowing who to poke around with uh, in training. So that was that was a really interesting chat and I thought he was very gracious as well in how he spoke about Brian Cody. But now we've come to the end of another show. Thank you for joining us over the course of the last hour. And don't forget, you can download any of those interviews on the Clash Act podcast. And please do join me back here, same time, same place next week, where we'll be playing some more of those great interviews from the Clash Act. I've been Sinead Kyo and this has been Full Time. We'll chat to you soon. This is Full Time on KCLOR.